The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. Is it because of that it's hard to build in the city or what what makes a, a large city more expensive than another city? Uh, I mean, fundamentally, it's supply and demand, right? So in San Francisco, it's hard to find land. And the other thing that yeah. makes supply really challenging out there is the regulation. I have uh, developer friends. This is in San Francisco. This was in, I think, uh, around L.A. But they had a, no, it was near San Francisco. They spent 10. But it's California. They have heavily regulations. Yeah. Yeah. They spent 10 years going through approvals to get approval on their site. So, yeah, so, so some jurisdictions go, make right? it really yeah. hard to build. Okay, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of the podcast. We have a very special guest, unique guest today to talk about how to reduce the cost of housing, apartments specifically. Uh, so Mike's got some really interesting things to to add to uh, to the show and to the, to the listeners. If you are listening on your favorite podcast directory, be sure to uh, leave us a five-star review. Always helps us with, uh, with people finding us. And if you're watching us on YouTube, Hit the subscribe button to support us and be sure to uh, like the videos as well. So let's get on with the show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, I'm Mike Kading, CEO of Norhart. We design, build, and rent apartments. We're really about driving down the cost of housing. We're achieving a 20 to 30% reduction in cost. We think we can hit a 50% reduction in cost. Well, think about what that means. That means someday your rent could be half. And our goal ultimately is to solve America's housing affordability crisis. Okay, uh, Mike Kading is the CEO of Norhart. Norhart designs, builds, and rents apartments, and they are transforming the way apartments are built and managed by incorporating technologies and efficiencies that have revolutionized other industries and lead to high-quality, cost-effective projects. Mike, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't we go back? I, I want to talk about the whole thing about what you're doing in the apartment industry and why, because we had talked off the mic a little bit about it, you know, why you're taking this approach and that the inefficiencies you've found in the marketplace. Maybe we can go back with your, you know, your background, your family's background in, in real estate and so forth. Yeah. My parents originally started this business. It was a very small real estate company at the time. I can remember us going to the local hardware store as a family outing, uh, maybe a half an hour drive, carrying and moving carts around and 
piling up my dad's little trailer up to the uh, sky. It felt <laughs> like driving on the highway. Maybe a little unsafe. Right. But we'd be building these very yeah. small buildings at the time. And that grew over time and eventually I went off to college. My dad really wanted me to join the business, but I didn't want to. And I didn't want to because I didn't want people to feel it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own okay. ego on that. But what I realized deep down is that I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And looking at the opportunity in front of me, taking this small business and growing it to something larger that can have that kind of impact became something I became excited about. Well, you didn't feel like your what your parents were doing was that impactful? or I mean, it was impactful kind of on a micro level, right? I mean, they were building places for people to live. Yeah, they, they were. And that had impact in our little local community. But right. yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. I, I just, it wasn't big enough. I didn't want people you. to think things were given to me, right? I, I wanted to make kind of that bigger yeah. impact. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so then uh, not long after uh, joining, my dad unfortunately passed away. And uh, mm. overnight, I became, you know, running this company. And looking back at it, you know, I honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. But looking back, that was... And you weren't even working? You weren't even working the business? I, yeah, I was. Had? But like deep down, like, did I really know how to run this well? Did I know how to effectively right, grow it? Not, no, not not really. Not honestly. Right. How long ago was this? How yeah, but that was sort of the magic because that meant that... Yeah we could start questioning everything. We could start uh, trying to change things and there was no one to tell us no. And that was sort of the stem. The right, stem. you didn't have the habits, right? Yeah. yeah. How old were you at that point, Mike? Oh, maybe 24, 25. Oh, okay, so you were a yeah. young guy. Okay. Okay. So you got thrown into it, basically. Yeah, so then we just started... Which was a construction business, right? They were... They built apartments only or all kinds of stuff? Uh, we primarily focused on apartments, although my dad did have like a mini storage and a couple of houses. Uh, Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so then we... What does it look like day one? You come in, you're like, don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I've had clients like this where a father or mother passes away, they're running the business and the children are like stepping in literally at 25 and they don't have any kind of experience or guidance. Yeah. Yeah, so we we started just questioning everything, making changes. We started bringing in people that were uh, experienced and can give us guidance and insight. And we just started making okay. small changes. And as a result of that, we started actually transforming the way construction is done. If you actually look at the past 60 years, industries like yeah. manufacturing have improved productivity by 760%. Agriculture has improved by 1,500%. Do you have any guess what construction has done during that time period? Well, from my experience dealing with projects, they seem to be doing them the same they were doing 35, 40 years ago. Pretty much. I mean, look, things change. Like, you know, you're doing different plumbing and different electrical and different, you know, items change that they're using in construction and things like that. But the process of framing a house or an apartment building, doing all the stuff, running the stacks, it, I don't think that's really changed that much, it, right? I it mean, it hasn't. They've, Productivity okay. has only changed by 10%, 10% in 60 oh, okay. years. It's awful. If you look at the past... Even if you account for like things like they use PECs, right, instead of copper plumbing or different electrical, that's only 10% roughly about the industry? Yeah, because there's other costs that have risen that have offset, so things are just, it's just mostly right. stagnant. There's been no advancement. And right, if you look okay. at the cost of housing over the past couple of decades, it's, it's growing faster than the, the salary increases. Yeah. Especially in parts of the you know more metropolitan areas, they're out of yeah, control. Exa exactly. Yeah. So, like, why are we standing for this as a society? Why not make a change here? And so, really, what we started doing was taking the techniques that these other industries have used, and it's starting to apply it to construction. So, pretty simple concept, but has a pretty powerful impact. Can you give me uh, an example of? Yeah, I can give you a bunch if you want, but I'll give you one to start off. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I want them all. <laughs> give you all the secrets. <laughs> so one of the yeah. first things that we looked at was this industry is very segmented. The owner is different than the general contractor who coordinates construction. It's a different company than all of the different subs, the plumbers, electricians, the HVAC. If construction were to produce cars, the the windshield installer would be different than the door installer who would be different than the guy installing the wheels. And then, of course, what would happen is the wheel installer would call up and say, I got busy on another project. I won't be out there for a couple right. of weeks. And they'd be shut down. Right. And then when they did get out yeah. there, they would be yelling upset because they can only work on one car at a time rather than a whole fleet of them right. all at once. 
And so this yeah. is just backwards. And so what we yeah. started to do then is bring all of the trades in house. So right now we have everything okay. in house, even all the way to manufacturing certain products in supply chain. We have teams in China and Mexico. And uh, that enables us. So, Mike, you have tradespeople that only work for you? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And we, yeah, quite a big staff that does that. And then that enables us to use some really interesting techniques. For example, we have a partnership with Toyota. Uh, we are taking the concept of assembly line and bringing it to construction. Now, if okay. you can't, uh, assembly line, the product moves past the person. You can't do that in construction. Yeah, you can't line up buildings and then slide <laughs> yeah, them down. I the thought line, about right? it. I don't think it'll work. But <laughs> instead, work. we take people and slide yeah. them through the building. Right, so your first team will go sense. work on the first. Yeah. We call it a batch, or it's more or less the size of a unit. They work on that first batch for about five hours. Then they move to the next batch, and the group before them or after them follows them, and everyone just keeps sliding right. through the building uh, like a train. And just using that right. one technique condenses down the space we do the work. Takes a project that might be fifteen months and drops it down to nine months. So there's a couple of examples of techniques. That's a huge thing. There's always time is yeah. money with these things. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say bringing everything in-house because I have a good friend of mine who's in construction and he works on large uh, residential projects as a sub. And he will bid on, let's say, they're doing all the bathrooms in the in the, in the in the 300 units or they're doing all the kitchens or they're doing all – you know, he'll bid on one thing and then that's what he'll do. He'll go in and he'll put the kitchens in one after another after another. But – because, like you said, they don't have control of the subs. He always runs into issues where either, you know, the flooring guy didn't put the flooring in correct, and now you can't get the cabinets in the kitchen in because it's not level properly. You know, it's got to be below or whatever with the because the appliances then won't fit, or there's some delay in some other part of the project that they didn't get just another. They're waiting, and he's going to do another project because he's got to get paid and pay his guys. Now he starts the other project. Now they're ready for him on this project. He's like, I'm not ready. So I would think that's a huge problem with terms of coordinating people's availability is, is like the main challenge of a general it's contractor. horrendous. Right? I mean, think about how crazy it is that we bring a bunch of people together who never met each other, have them work together on one project, right. and now they go off and do something else. Like you're reinventing right. the wheel but every single time. But these guys are all time. trying to stay busy. That's the problem, right? You need to keep them busy and be able to afford to pay them to be on your staff full time and still – but I guess, I guess you're the one who's discovering that that's still yeah. cheaper. Oh, right? it is. Well, we have very consistent work. I mean, think about what we're doing. We're, right. we're already driving down the cost by 20 to 30% as much. So even in a downturn, right. so gonna pick you up if everything falls by 20 to 30%, a lot of others are out of the market. We can still move forward. Got it. Even with the rising costs of, of, of uh, materials and everything, it's been going through the roof. Exactly. Right? Uh, we can still do it that well, the way we solved that problem was we started building our own supply chain, right? So we have our own teams in China. Okay. We have our own teams in Mexico. We have our own manufacturing facilities now so that we're not as hit by those ups and downs. We still are, but it's right. less. You're hit with some of it. Yeah, right, right. But but even if you have to raise your prices, you're still going to be lower than the other people that raise their prices. Everything's relative to what's going on in the yeah, marketplace, exactly. right? Yeah, okay. All right, so that's one example. So And that's a... Uh, an intuitive example, right? If you could literally systematize the people where the guy says, listen, you put in all the windows and one, you know, one, you know, one, you know, one, and everybody's following as opposed to leaving the project. That makes sense. So give me another example that may be not as intuitive to me. So the supply chain is another big one. The, yeah, that's number the, two. Yeah. We really start seeing significant improvement is lots of little Solutions. So it's about building a culture of continuous improvement. Ultimately, it comes down okay. to hiring. This is the most important principle I've ever learned is the quality of the team. But you build up the right culture, build yeah. up the right team, and now you're starting to solve a lot of little problems. It's as simple as like you have a pod that is full of junk and people have to spend three minutes walking through it every day. You coordinate, you clean it up, and you organize it, and now they don't spend the three right. minutes every day. We have, here's maybe something unique. Okay. Every single Friday... All of our different teams produce a video on something that they meaningfully improved on their team that week. And we show it off and there's like celebration and we give awards and stuff. But it's this kind of fun cultural oh, moment nice. to reinforce yeah. that continuous learning and improvement. Right. But that and that so that basically falls under the project management category, right? How to improve the management of 
the project yeah. in terms of time. And you, you pick up a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Next thing you know, it's several hours a yeah, day, right? The, the, you know, what's crazy here is the concept is simple. The execution is incredibly yeah. hard because you have to win incredibly out the hearts hard. and the minds of everyone involved because you've got 10,000 problems and you can't solve it with just a few managers. Right. You need every single person to solve those issues. And to buy into the, I, I would guess that if somebody comes on board, right, you have to have them buy into your concept. But it's like you said, con- conceptually, it's very easy to buy into, right? You say, I'm in, that's great. We can do this cheaper and I'm here full time and this and that. But I would think that execution takes a lot of coordination, a lot of people, you know, team building and right. I mean, that's really where it falls apart is the rogue people that say, you know, it's just easier. I'm just going to do it this way. And then the whole thing breaks Absolutely. down, right? Absolutely. And that's why we get to the most important strategy of all, which is we fight to hire the very best people. And, and this is not just a statement. We literally hire people in other states and fly them into work every week yeah. because they're the best in, really? the, in the world, oftentimes, that their niche or what they do. And when you're so focused on building that right culture, it is incredible. It's magical. Things come together in ways you just can't do unless you have incredible, amazing uh, tier of people. Well, I would think best is not like the best plumber or the best electrician or the best carpenter. It's got to be somebody who understands and gets it, right? The concept. It's not just because this guy's the best framer around. If he doesn't understand what you're trying to do, it doesn't matter how good he is if he doesn't buy into it. So we have our core values and we often find that the vast majority of construction workers don't line up to our values. Like one of our simple values right. is be a genuine yeah. human, right? Be nice, be respectful, right. be kind. Oh, it's the biggest problem with the construction industry, right? Especially residential. These guys are in and out, boom, and they make mistakes, and then they leave and they don't come back and finish and whatever. Exactly. And they're and they're kind of a rough and tumble bunch. And so we often find that the most experienced is not the most fitting for our organization. And the way to def- we define best right. in the world is uh, for certain positions, you actually have to be best in the world, but others, you have to be on the journey to become best in the world, right? So you have to have spirit, okay. the energy, the drive that you're learning faster than everyone else, that you're going faster than everyone else, and then you're also in a good spot for us. And then you can develop yeah. them and they kind of buy into all your all exactly. concept. Now, you're, you're not doing any um, GC projects that you bid on. These are projects that you guys are, these are like, either condo, I don't know if there are condos or apartments, but if you're putting up an apartment building, it's you bought the land or you're leasing the land, whatever the deal is, and you're putting up the buildings and you're renting the apartments, right? It's the whole thing, soup to nuts. Yes. It's not someone else's building that you're putting up. That's for correct. Them, right? We own it and then we rent it out to our residents. And really, the, you can think back to what is our long-term goal. Our long-term goal is to drive down the cost of housing. And so when we think about that, providing yeah, amazing housing, we want to we want to control that whole experience for residents. Okay, so now here's here's a difficult yeah, question, okay. right? So you and I both know that costs and cost of living varies from area to area. And if I remember right, you're in like Minnesota mm-hmm. or somewhere up there, right? You're not in San Francisco. You're not in New York. You're not in these in these uh, extremely expensive, you know, areas where the cost of housing is is like ridiculous. I mean, there's people that there there are there are ordinances, I don't know if it's up by you too, but there are ordinances where if you put up a project, you have to by law have a certain amount of low income housing carved out. And there was a whole argument that you could sell your thing to another town and then they, you know, it's always a, it's always a hot potato that nobody wants, right? It's not in my backyard type of an attitude. But basically you have to meet that that low income housing requirement because housing is so expensive. I mean, you could in my town, you could be renting a two bedroom, two bath apartment for like more than four thousand wow. dollars a month. And we're not in New York City. We're in a suburb, a bedroom community in New York that's quiet and you know some of it's blue collar and and, and you know so lo- without low income housing, people just can't even get into these communities. And it's ridiculous to be able to. I don't know what does a two bedroom apartment go for out by you? Uh, Fifteen hundred dollars. You know, so it is a lot you. less. Uh, a few interesting points though to bring <laughs> up is that when we look at our costs, we're comparing apples to apples. So it's similar developers doing similar projects in similar locations. The uh, okay, our long term strategy is so each each building because we're twenty to thirty percent less actually has a fair amount of profit, and we actually charge market rates for our units intentionally. We're taking that capital and okay. pulling it back into the system to build buildings. 
You know, Elon Musk talks about how hard it is to build a car and how it's 10 to 100 to 1,000 times harder to build a system that builds the car. Well, it's the same for building buildings. We're building the system that builds buildings. Our plan is to expand that out. And as we do long term, we want to produce enough units in the marketplace that affects supply and demand to drive down the cost of housing for everyone. And that's sort of the long-term goal. Yeah, because the other ones have to compete and they want to fill up their units. They're going to exactly. have to drop their price whether they like yeah. it or not. So we want to affect that side of supply so and demand come, factor. But you brought up – So I guess you could come to my area. You would just wouldn't be doing a 1500 a month. You would be doing it at maybe 2800 a month or something instead of 4100 a month. Uh, well, we might be. Do- it probably be more like thirty nine hundred a month, but we'd be producing so many <laughs> units that everyone's vacancy starts climbing. So we all start dropping down our rents together. Is really the goal. Got it. And you talk about some got markets it, that it. are really tough to get into, and that's a great point. You look at San Francisco right now, and that's a really hard market to break into. And so, yeah, very hard. Ultimately, our thinking behind this is. There's certain jurisdictions that are tough, and we may not be able to break in and actually build a ton of units right within San Francisco proper. But if we can affect the outside, like places that land is available, and we can produce more units in them, right. that's going to bring down, down downward pressure on overall pricing for everyone. Why? Why is this is a generic question, I think? But why is the cost of housing so much more in San Francisco? I mean, we're all buying the same materials. That nobody's charging them ten times for lumber. Is it because of that it's hard to build in the city, or what? What makes a, a large city more expensive than another city? Uh, I mean, fundamentally, it's supply and demand, right? So in San Francisco, it's hard to find land, and the other thing that yeah. makes supply really challenging out there is the regulation. I have uh, developer friends. This is in San Francisco. This was in, I think, uh, around LA, but they had a. No, it was near San Francisco. They spent 10... But it's California. They have heavily regulations. Yeah. Yeah. They spent 10 years going through approvals to get approval on their site. So, yeah, so, so some jurisdictions go, make right? it really yeah. hard to build. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, if it takes you 10 years to get your project started, you're you're burning through money the We're dealing time. with one site right now in Texas where, and this is new to me, but something called heritage trees. So we had to get a whole study done, and there's certain trees on the site that are... Heritage trees, we can't touch it. We have to actually build around those trees. Yeah. We respect the trees, but those sorts of things make it uh, tougher to build. Yeah, no. In the, in the Northeast, there's a lot of towns that have, uh, I don't know if they're tree committees, but they're, you know, they're committees that you have to get approval to remove trees, and there's a replacement program. And if they are some sort of historical tree or a drainage tree or something that protects the land, you're not allowed to remove it. You got to get a variance to do it, you know, stuff like that. But you know what the pro- biggest problem is, is that there's no policing of these of these statutes. So what ha- what will happen is, and I've seen this happen literally with a homeowner that was in my neighborhood, but it wasn't my client. They had a tree that wasn't allowed to be removed. So they built the corner of the house of the addition, like around the tree, like they cut into the roof and the whole thing. After they got approval and they were done they went and they cut the tree down and fixed the roof and didn't tell anybody. I mean, you saw it, but nobody from the town's driving by and nobody's enforcing. You know, you'd have to get another homeowner to bring an action, but why would they care? You know, the, the tree disappeared. And then the neighbor that was complaining about it, they moved away. So, you know, nobody after a while, nobody even knew that the tree wasn't there. And, and you know, people are just trying to skirt these laws all over, which I guess adds to the cost too, right, if, that, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, we were in one city where we got uh – the city staff loved our work. We got through the planning commission, which was the first group they had to get approval from. That went really well. Then we got to the city council, and there was a couple of city council members that just didn't want more buildings in their city. And so they said, no, we're not doing it. Right. So it's like sometimes just the whim of a handful of people can shut down projects. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a system. Do you run into um, you know towns where, I mean, look, it's very common, right? Builders are in with local politicians, and they... You know, not necessarily, you know, do they bribe them? I'm sure that happens too. But, you know, they're just more. So do you get pushback when you're trying to build in a community, get approvals? And they're like, well, this I don't want this guy in. He's just going to drive down the cost of housing. And then you you get it's tough to get your, your um, you know, the boards on your side, planning I, boards. And stuff. Generally, it's not it too much. bad for us because we have a lot of those relationships. But it is very much if you have the relationships, it goes much easier than if you don't, which is, uh, yeah. which is a little unfortunate, right? Like. Uh, the perfect world is there just be a set of basic rules that we all follow and then but 
these uh, planning commissions, the city councils have a tremendous amount of power. They basically just get to say, I like it or I don't like it, right? There's really no right. rules that they have to follow. No, there's no rules. They can do whatever. They, I've seen th- people approve stuff that they should never yeah. have approved. And I've seen them, you know, turn down things that if you go, if you took the time, spent the money, go to court, they're going to yeah. lose, you know, because they're just arbitrary and, and you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I had so. one city that uh, decided to enforce a rule that they made up that was clearly illegal in state statute. And state statute even right. had a prescription to say, all right, if you ever have a problem with this, the city council is required to approve the project and you escrow the fees or whatever into a side thing with the court would handle. And it could be uh, determined in court. And the city council said, we don't care. Like if, if you if you don't right. agree to this, we're going to turn you down right now and you can't come back for another year. So it's like, you know, hands are tied as a developer, even, even if a city is doing the wrong thing. Right. Unless you come back and you spend the time filing and suing, but you want to yeah. do your project. You don't want to go it's to It's not worth it. You know, it's funny. We had in my town, maybe from 80 years ago, we had a law that basically restricted certain restaurants from using their liquor licenses in full. So the liquor license, technically, you're supposed to, you can have a bar or whatever. But what they did was, I guess there was influence. Let's say there's 10 licenses. New Jersey, the way it works is you get one license per 3,000 residents of your town. That's the way it works in New Jersey. It's not like other towns. So you don't see liquor at the 7-Eleven and all these different places, right? So there's stores and liquor. And so it's very hard. So with restaurants, a lot of them are bring your own or whatever. So there's, let's say there's 10 licenses in my town. At some point, the town passed an ordinance that limited seven of the licenses. So three main ones were full, sit up bars, the whole thing. And the other seven were like, you could have a service bar, you could only serve beer or wine. It was something like that. And the arguments were that all the clergy would come to the planning board and say how we're there's going to be people drunk in the streets if we have this, you know, rule. And it's been challenged before. So finally, some large restaurant group came to town that had the resources in-house general counsel and told them that, listen, we're, we're opening a restaurant here. We want a full bar. We bought one of the licenses. We're going to challenge you in court. And there were enough attorneys on the board that said, listen, we're not going to waste money going to court. We're going to lose. And they lifted that restriction. But it took like 60 or 80 years oh. to to lift it, to allow them to do that. But it was totally unconstitutional. It was totally arbitrary. And, you know, local politicians do stuff like that, especially in the real estate business. You guys have to deal with ridiculousness all the time. I, I deal with planning board meetings and people bring stuff up and you're like, what, what? this has nothing to do with this plan. Or they bring it up anyway, you know, what something else about an intersection or whatever. So it's tough. Well, why don't we do this, Mike? Why don't we take a commercial break? I'll play the commercials. It's like a minute or two. And then we come back. We can talk. You know, this is an entrepreneurial podcast, entrepreneurs podcast. That's who's listening. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, the challenges that you've faced as a CEO running a business, how you've overcome those advice to people to run businesses, whether in real estate or not. And uh, and then maybe we can also get into what you see other industries doing in terms of improving their productivity and cost and stuff. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting concept for people to think. So let's take commercial break and then we'll come back. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. 
One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. All right, Mike. um, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, your advice to entrepreneurs, the challenges that you face, because I, I, I would guess you're not, you weren't the CEO when you're 25 when you just stepped into the business, but it probably happened pretty soon thereafter. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm also, I, I'm curious as to whether you use, you know, mentors and advisors and stuff that have helped you along the way. One of our sponsors, Tab, is an advisory board type of a sounding board type of a program. Um, and I find, I'm a huge advocate of that kind of stuff. But maybe we can, you know, what, what was your journey as an entrepreneur, your 20s? And you became the CEO. What challenges have you faced? Yeah, I'll mention first. I could not agree more with mentors and coaches. Uh, the, yeah. One of the more, most one of the most important things I learned is how little I know. Right. So you want to bring smart yeah. people around you that are telling you, "Hey, Mike, you're being an idiot. Like, change this, do this differently, right. and you'll you'll have better success." I've done this. It didn't work, and this is why. <laughs> yeah. Right. So stand on the yeah. shoulder of giants. Don't try to invent everything on your own. Um, you know, very early on, after my dad passed, I, I did become CEO. It was, I mean, it was only like a dozen people at the time, so it wasn't that big of a right. company. Um, but right. we, I remember very early on with that, we did a uh, project, and the city council shut uh, that building down. It was a 36-unit apartment building. Shut us down twice. And the second time, they said, Mike... You're a pipsqueak kid. We don't trust you can do this. You need to hire real management to come in and, and run this. And and I, my staff was out of work until I could find someone to fill that those those that role. We found someone quick, and that's never a good thing. It, it didn't work out. He wasn't a good person, but it was enough right. to get past the city. But behind okay. the scenes, we're trying to solve all these problems. We're fixing things. We're handing it to that guy who signs off and makes it looks like he did it, which is fine with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then right. toward the end of that project, we started running some significant issues. And I remember one of them was this pipe that uh, it was thousands of feet long. It was buried you know, 15 feet underground. And it had a pinhole leak that was probably dripping once every 20 seconds. So just a tiny leak, but it was enough to detect. We knew there was some leak somewhere in the system. And we started... This was underneath the building? It was like underneath the foundation? Uh, no, the it was outside connecting us up to the water mains. Okay, and uh, okay. so we were out there, and uh, the excavator didn't want to be there. He was he was done with our project. He wanted to go somewhere else. I was literally standing out there in my like nice clothes, in the mud, shoveling, digging out, trying to find this leak with them. We were out there for weeks, like sunrise to sunset. It was uh, it was really it was really something really taxing. Then we got just to the end of that project. We found the leak, and just a few days before about to open, some city account or city staff members walked through, and they said. There's no way we're going to give you approval. There's no way you're going to open. With all these residents moving in. Why? Because uh, they didn't think it was done. Uh, they didn't think it was going to get done. There was just things we had to finish yet. Um, it was like, were they like just punch yeah, list punch items? Yeah, punch list items. Really? The, there's you know, yeah, okay. just issues, things like that we had to fix. They're just being difficult. They didn't like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that was, it was very true. Because <laughs> um, I was just a kid. Anyway, uh, yeah. that last day, we had our final inspection. The head building official and three other inspectors came through and walked through the building for half of a day. And at the very end, we got down to the basement, this big parking garage, and the uh, head building official pulls me aside and said, Mike, I didn't think you could do it, but looking at it now, this is honestly the best opening of a building that we've ever had in this city. Really? Ah, finally, right? Right. Like, And I think the lesson in all of this is anytime we start something, we are terrible. Right. And if we get in our head too early right. on, like I was in my head, like I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And if you let right. that capture yourself and you start really thinking that way about your life, you're not going to succeed. But you just have to keep right. at it. Try, 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 try. Fail, 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 fail until it finally all comes together and you start to realize I can do this. 
Yeah. And I think part of it is like the consciousness of recognizing, hey, listen, you know, I'm 25 years old and I'm doing this and I'm probably going to have challenges with it. And that's okay because I can overcome them. It's the, it's the other person who says, oh, I got to be perfect at this. I, I'm 25. I got to make them think I'm 45 and I know everything and I can do it and I can get it done. And they put so much pressure on themselves that they fail, uh, which like you said, failing's fine. But I think a lot of it is mindset, yes. right? Because it's okay to fail, to know that you missed that deadline. You're like, oh, you know, I expected that to happen. Now let's lo- move a little bit closer to the finish line, so to speak. And obviously that that came together for you. But yeah, good advice. I think people, what's the word? They psych themselves yes. out. They get in their own heads and they're just, they can do it more so than not. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. We're so hardwired as humans to be so, so super <laughs> critical, self-critical of ourselves. Like, that is such yeah. an important lesson is to let that go and realize we're all that way. We're all terrible to start. That's just part of the process. That's part of being human and growing. Right. Yeah. The most successful people, you know, were in that position at exactly. one point, you know, and not every business is as technical and complicated as your business is. Some of them just, you know, you can figure it out and you got, and you got to do it. But I think that also comes down to mentors and advisors that can keep your perspective yeah on stuff, you know, where, where your advisor says, listen, my first project, I fell on my face. They didn't let me do this and that. And I figured it out and I fought my way. You got to fight your way through it. And I think that's good. That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. So do you remember other challenges that you faced with, uh, as a CEO running oh, the company? Been so How many. about uh, employees and management of people? Is that's a hard one. Oh, okay. Yeah. We can talk about that. So, uh, <laughs> there, you know, the most important lesson I've ever learned is hiring the best people. We talked about that earlier, but uh, a little bit of the story that I was surrounding that. It's hard to do, it's, right? Yeah, especially in construction so, right uh, now. It's really hard to find great people. Yeah. So you know what we did? Yeah. We hired uh, 14 recruiters on staff that okay. now go to the nth degree to find the best people. They actually look up um, uh, the employees at other companies and try to evaluate and find the best ones and try to build a relationship over time that then capture them over. So like... Once you start realizing you need the best, you realize your ways of getting the best people are not working and you need to change that perspective and change what you're doing. But I remember uh, early on, we uh, were building a building and we needed more people. We couldn't find them. So we worked with this right. temp labor company to bring us out people. And we thought, well, great. We'll see five people. We'll hire one of them. That would be good. Uh, and we hired on a whole team that way. And it was it was a disaster. You were terrible. It yeah, was a disaster. No, it, it did not work. And the culture wasn't right. People were uh, frustrated. The systems weren't functioning properly. And uh, this is where a good mentor came alongside and said, Mike, you you idiot. What are you doing? Right? You need to hire great people. Like, And I started reading things like yeah. uh, work, uh, No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings. Fantastic book. Um, and so we went through our entire staff and evaluated every single person. And we let most everyone go. And we started hiring on amazing people. And that changed everything. Not only does culture start working better, people problems start disappearing. And problems that you had and doors that were shut now become open and you didn't have to open them. Right? It just magic starts happening. So hiring the best people is the most important thing you can do. It's a whole feel of the the business, of the culture, of interacting with customers about, you know, you know, whatever you're doing, I think it, it permeates and it goes both ways, right? So if you have the wrong people and they're siloed and they're not working together, it goes the opposite direction. Exactly. It's just spin out of control. Now, a lot quickly. of people think that hiring the best people is expensive. And, and yes, it is because you pay, we pay top of market. We never want payer benefits to right. be the reason why someone leaves. And we offer benefits that are, that are all in line with like Google and Netflix for a construction company, like unlimited time right. off for employees Right for construction workers, yeah, right? unheard of. Right? Um, yeah. But what we have found time and time again, the best people outperform the average by two to five to even ten times as much. So even if they're more expensive, they're actually less expensive when you're comparing right. it to the amount that they're producing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that's true because um, it, it, you know, people over, they overlook the fact that you're paying for some, you, you always pay what you get, right? Pay for what yeah. you get. So if you get somebody who's unproductive, it doesn't matter what you pay them. It's just causing more problems and permeating throughout your, your, throughout your business. And I think a lot of people learn that the hard way. I also think, 
you know, using recruiters, whether in-house or out-of-house, people that you trust that have a process and know how to evaluate people and can report back to you and say, this is why we think this person is right for the business. You know, not that they're the best plumber in the country, but they're a, a great plumber. They think like this. They they tested this way or whatever. Because I think I had a guy on my podcast, he's a neuroscientist about never go with your gut. I think as as right as, as people who run the business and grow the business, you said you started with a small staff, and I'm terrible at this. You tend to like, you know, you meet somebody, you have a nice rapport with them. They're great people. You're really hitting it off. You have something in common. You both like beer. You both like what, whatever it happens to be. And next thing you know, you're like, this guy will be great for the business. And that's not the process that you should use to evaluate him. And then you got this guy who you like, who's either totally wrong for the company or in the wrong position, whatever it is. And it becomes difficult. And you just, I think we tend to sabotage ourselves when we try and do it on our own. When we don't have a professional who says, listen, I got to do this right because I got a job here and, and I have skills to do it with. So, but 14 sounds oh, like yeah. a lot. How many people do you have now? Okay, well, you didn't have 14 uh, recruiters when you had nine people, uh, No, but so. uh, we hired 14 when we only had 100 people. So it was like 15% of our company. Okay. Okay. And are, are they paid on salary? Uh, yeah. Okay. And they're all busy? They're always looking for people, always hiring? Well, I mean, uh, so you have to remember, we're trying to find the best. So they go through hundreds, right. if not thousands of candidates for every position they hire. So put a lot of time and attention in that. And then uh, secondly, we've been growing quite rapidly. So they're... Yeah, the growth has been insane. So they've been bringing tons of people From in. From a staff-wise and then acquisition of like land to do projects yeah. and things like that. So are they each assigned to a – I don't mean to get into this, but you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you think about business structure and how you run and operate your business. So 14 sounds like a lot for 250 people. Are there 14 different departments that they each focus on? I know those the split-up positions that they work on, um, I think they've divided things a little bit between our construction and our property management. Um but sometimes they'll put two people on one role. So they'll like have one person. Be, and they work as a team, like as a department, that? right? They work oh, as yeah, like a team, yeah. like as a department. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I got it. How many like divisions does your company have? Uh, at a high level, we have construction, we have property management, and a few smaller okay. things like finance and uh, HR and things like that. Within construction, uh, we have kind of the on-site construction. We have our manufacturing facilities. We have um, our architectural engineering team. Um, and there's some like lean process improvement categories. So it sure. gives you a flavor. So, so the so the build and the project comes out of the construction side and then gets eventually passed over to property management because you don't sell anything you build, right? You just, you keep Yeah, everything. we're not. I mean, maybe you sell them at some point, but you're not building it exactly to sell right. it. Yep. Right, right, right. Your portfolio. How many, how many buildings do you guys manage now? Uh, so we're at around a thousand units, which is maybe a dozen or so buildings. Um, we're producing though at about five hundred units a year right now, and so it's kind of interesting as we've been growing so fast. The number of units we produce is always a large percentage of the number of units we have. How big was the company when your dad passed away, and how many units did they have in those uh, days? It was less than 100. It was a hundred. It was a small company. Out. What are your goals for growth of the company? I mean, just like growing isn't always the best thing, right? Just adding and adding and adding and adding is not good if you, yeah. you know, you, you want 10,000 units, you want 20,000 units. Growth creates problems, which we could talk a lot about. Yeah, yeah. But what's, uh, what's interesting, the way we think about this is we want to solve America's housing affordability crisis. That's how I look at things. So for trying to do that, that okay. helps us set our goals. Our goal in the next 10 years is to reach 192,000 units with producing 60,000 units per year. And at that point, we're starting to now have an impact on the market. And strategically, different parts of the country or just basically in your region? Yeah, at that point, we're probably half the states in the country. Okay, so you're penetrating like 50% of the of the market and then you're starting exactly. to have an impact. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So what, what would you say is... Uh, a piece of advice you'd give if, if I'm a, this is just a general, the small business owner question, right? So if I'm a business owner, you know, maybe I'm just getting started. Maybe I took over a family business and it's going to get started. What, what do you think is the one or two pieces of advice you would give to somebody who's out there and, you know, maybe they're not, they're, they're not sure about what to do? Well, I think the first thing is make sure you love what you do. 
right? Uh, okay. If you don't love what you're doing, you're not going to be fantastic at it. So if you love what right. you do, the next big point I would say we've already talked about is hiring the best people. But to give another like deeper point related to that is make sure to be firing people who are not the right fit. I've heard of That's leaders talk do. about this, and yeah. I've seen it too. Even with an incredible hiring process, still 50% of the people you hire are probably still not ultimately the very best people. And so one of the principles yeah. we follow is from Netflix, which is that average performance gets a generous severance. We really help people on the way out, but we're very proactive about evaluating those people on a regular basis. Another point... You don't let you don't let anybody go without some sort of severance to help yeah. them. Oh, yeah. We're very active about helping. And it's yeah. amazing. If you do that right, we have employees, our ex-employees, we had a fire who I just saw one this morning. They're like posting positive things on our social media. They come and thank us for letting them go. A lot of times what it is is it's a good person at least here. They're just not in the right yeah. seat. And we don't have a seat that matches their skill set. And we help them find that. And then they're actually happier overall. Yeah, I think there's a whole... And maybe it's more like in the recruiting in the, the HR industry about branding your company for the employees to attract the right kind of employees and even for the ones that don't fit to give them a good experience so they're not out there bad mouthing you, that they're actually helping, they're an advocate for, you know, they meet the right person and they're like, listen, you know, Sue, let me connect you, you know, with Mike and Mike will put you with the PR, HR people, they'll evaluate you, but I think you'd be, you'd really like it at this company and, I think there's a lot to be said for that, that employers, there's some employers that just don't really care. Yeah. Uh, my son's tech, and they let you go and take your laptop and walk you out the building that day. Absolutely. And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, you know? And, and some of it's security issues, I understand, but sometimes they don't give you severance either. So it makes it for, I think it's pennywise and pound exactly. foolish. And look, I understand there's a cost to that, right? But it, I think ultimately it does come back to haunt you one way or another, whether you like it or not. If it's a bad experience, what do you tell 100 people? If you have a good experience, you might tell five of your best friends. So you want to make sure they tell the five best friends, not the 100 people about this terrible experience I had at this terrible company and their terrible employer and all this. Because there's there aren't there like job boards and websites where people oh, yeah. post things about oh, for sure. Right? And what's interesting yeah. too is, Last is let's say even if they didn't post all of that, if you don't build yeah. the right culture, all you have is people's time or their basic hands, that only produces right. a certain level of productivity. What you really need, if you really want to change an industry, is you need people's hearts, right? Yeah. And when they're fully or invested, you, you will change company. things. Yeah, you just have a mediocre company and you're always wondering why you can't get off the ground. I think that is, I mean, I, look, I, I get a lot of advice. I've interviewed hundreds of people and different things, but I think if you're building an organization, not everybody has to have employees, right? They can have more of a virtual business, whatever. But if you have people that are part of your organization, virtual or in-person, whatever, without that cohesiveness and culture, and I think people don't take it that seriously that they realize how important, because you've gotten back to it several times during our discussion, how important that ultimately becomes, you can't even figure out why you're not successful because you're not in tune to what's going on on the cultural level of you know the business. And it's not all about you know giving people, you know, uh, logo clothes and you know trivia nights on Fridays. Sometimes it is, but a lot of it is just doing the things that appreciate people and making sure that they understand what it, why it is that they're coming to work and they like coming to work because some people hate yeah. coming to work and you know and that and that they feel like the company's important to them because they feel important to the company, right? And I I think a lot of people don't feel that way. They just they're going through the motions. They like what they do in general in some cases, but they don't love their company. And they're like, ah, I could take it or leave it. But that's not what you, how you build a, you know, a, a, it's certainly not how you change the world in terms of your exactly. goals. Exactly. I could not agree more. And, and even to add on to that point, like you need to have a mission and a purpose that inspires, right? If you're just there to make money or just doing kind of a whole hum business, you're going to have whole hum employees. If you're trying to make yeah. a worldwide impact, that inspires the best people to come work for you. The very best people, they have options. They can get plenty of good pay anywhere else. That's not a defining yeah. factor. It's what you are about as an organization is what will inspire them to join you. Right. Well, people come and say, hey, I want to be part of this journey yeah. as opposed to saying, yeah, well, I got 12, 12 offers. I can go anywhere I want, but I want to join Mike because I like his vision. I like what he's trying to do and I want to exactly. be a part of it. Yep. 
Yeah. So you you you're up in Minnesota. Do you have offices in other parts of the country right now, or uh, so most of our properties are in Minnesota. We have a manufacturing facility in Wisconsin. Right. We're extending right now into Texas, is where our next properties will be, and we're working on manufacturing facilities in Mexico. Yeah. So if you if you're doing a project in Texas, how do you get boots on the ground there? Like, do you have to open an office? I mean, you're, you're obviously your business is different than other businesses. You gotta can't build a building virtually. Yeah. So how do you oh, do that? Oh, that's a, a big new interesting challenge as we scale up. Um, one of the approaches yeah. we're taking is that we're already flying employees from other states. And so for those employees, and a lot of them are in a higher level of construction management, a lot of them will just start flying to Texas rather than Minnesota. So that will be an easy transition. But then we have to ramp up that team. And so it's going to be a hybrid. Yeah. Initially, as we're ramping up the employees, We'll probably have some subcontractors to fill in the gaps that we haven't hired for. Another thing is part of the reason we have 14 or 16 recruiters is so that we can hire fast. And so when we get into Texas after ramp up, we have capacity to hire the people we need to. Right. Databases, exactly. people to call on. So some of them are local too, I guess. Well, not necessarily if you're looking for the best guys in you know New Jersey and you need them in Texas. You fly them in. You don't fly them in daily. You must go there for a month or uh, weekly, something, right? Weekly. Weekly, so at the end of the week they go yeah. back on the weekends, and you're covering yep. all that cost, right? It's still you're flying them back and forth, putting them up in a hotel for the week, but or it's whatever. still worth it if they're best in the world at what they do. If you're yeah, top of the market. Well, um, Mike, I appreciate your time coming on, sharing your thoughts. What's the best way for people? We'll put this in the show notes too for people want to learn about what Norhart's doing, connect with you. It's the best way for people. Yeah, to get you can you. visit our website, norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And we have a couple of interesting things. The first is a new investment platform that we're launching here in a couple of months. Uh, you can check that out. Okay. And then secondly, we have a new podcast called Becoming a Unicorn. It's about the journey of small companies growing to billion-dollar enterprises. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.